Welcome to the 3ND Podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. It's great to be back with y'all. Obviously, we are uh, coming to you live um, on Sunday afternoon, uh, just a few days, uh, 72 hours, uh, a little bit over 72 hours from the Grizzlies' first game against Miami to start the season. I'm really excited. I know it's been a while since we've talked with you. My regular um, host, Justin Lewis, is um, uh, away. He's ready for the uh, the season as well. We'll be back with you with weekly and bi-weekly podcasts in order to uh, give you, you know, our in insights on the season and uh, obviously you know with it being a few days away we it's exciting um, you know even though the regular season hasn't began we have had a few weeks of Grizzlies games five games total on a preseason slate uh, including three against um, NBA opponents the Hornets the Thunder and the Spurs um, a lot of exciting things to see finally get to see the young talent in Java Rant, J- Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark amongst others um, a little bit of a um, um, uh, hope or, or, or concern I guess but the there is hope that uh, Jonas Valanciunas will be back soon. But uh, on this show, what we're going to do is we're going to go into the preseason. You know, what can we learn, you know, if, if anything, from the preseason so far? Then we'll talk about John Morant's pursuit of the Rookie of the Year um, uh, award. Definitely is an open door now for him to step through and be in contention with Zion uh, potentially being out uh, for a while. And then also uh, we will look at the first uh, several games of the Grizzlies schedule, just what to look for, matchups that are exciting, you know, what kind of start might the Grizzlies get off to um, in, in the third segment. So glad to be back with you, but let's jump right into it. So looking at the Grizzlies preseason, three and two, um, you know, two games against uh, the Breakers from New Zealand and also, I can't remember the name of the team from Israel, but uh, uh, both um, wins for the Grizzlies. And then, of course, uh, we, we uh, you know, faced, uh, you know, the Hornets and the Thunder and the Spurs. You know, two teams in the Hornets and the Thunder that are right there with the Grizzlies, you know, likely lottery teams that are, you know, starting to rebuild. And then the Spurs, a team with playoff aspirations out west. And the first general thing to take from this is that, in all honesty, the Grizzlies are going to suck more than they're going to succeed. And that could be for the whole season. That's just the simple, you know, thought process. The Grizzlies are projected from a lot of places to have 25 to 28 wins, right? You know, that's that's supposed to be um, right in between where we have been the past two seasons. And that's fine. You know, as many have stated, rightfully so, this season, if you are judging this season for the Grizzlies by wins and losses, you should just go ahead and accept you're going to be disappointed. But there are things to look at that, you know, you kind of get an idea of where the Grizzlies can be successful. You also get an idea of where they'll struggle. And then you also can kind of gain an understanding of, okay, there are some areas where while we may struggle now naturally as, you know, we have a, you know, a lot of new players who are playing together for the first time, maybe some areas we can improve in. And the first thing that jumps out to me um, are the moments. The moments are going to be there. You know, uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 consensus that seems around the league this year is that the Grizzlies are, you know, an NBA league pass darling. And that makes sense with the highlights and with John Morant's ability in the open court and the pick and roll, you know, Brandon Clark's finishing ability. There's a lot of things to like about the Grizzlies. And there were several of those moments that you saw. The thing that jumps off the page at me first was John Morant, just how in control he is. You obviously can tell that it's not only his ball handling and his decision making when he has the ball in his hands, but his vision. 
He's thinking two or three steps before a lot of his defenders are. And yes, while he just had three games, it wasn't against the most talented guards in the league. He still showed out. He still proved just how special he could be, even if it's not scored 25 a game. It's setting up his teammates to succeed, which he did on a consistent basis. Overall, and I'll get into this a bit in the second segment, the thing about John Morant statistically that really, um, it, it, you know, I was glad to see, 29 assists to 9 turnovers. In fact, the Grizzlies were second in the league for fewest turnovers during the preseason. So that's an encouraging sign. Our teams are playing disciplined basketball when it comes to handling the ball and and you know, not making mistakes. We're probably not going to finish second in the league in, in, in fewest turnovers per game as the season goes along, but that's an encouraging sign in the first few games to at least see us, um, you know, handling the ball correctly and, you know, not not giving the team other chances to score. The other big takeaway that I, that I feel is there is the three-point shooting when it comes to the Grizzlies. Uh, the Grizzlies averaged 32 threes per game in the three games that they played NBA quality talent. The thing is, is that they made 26 out of those 96 threes. Now, that is to be expected. The Grizzlies, I don't think they're going to shoot only 30%. I would probably put the Grizzlies somewhere in the 35 to 38% range once the season gets going. But this opens up a, a, it's a good statistic to look at for an overall understanding of how Taylor Jenkins and his roster um, are going to operate this season. Taylor Jenkins has mentioned he wants to let it fly. He wants to shoot threes. The Grizzlies are probably going to um, average more threes per game than we've seen from them in quite a while, ever since the 2016-2017 season when we had our you know best offensive year you know in years under David Fisdale. The Grizzlies are going to attempt more threes. The problem is, is that that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make more. The Grizzlies shot about 30% from preseason. The reason why that's not a surprise is because Number one, you don't have a lot of shooting on this team. You just don't. There, there's, there, there, there are, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. arguably is the best three-point shooter on the team, and you certainly don't want him taking 15 um, threes a game. While it's fine that the Grizzlies are shooting, you know, 32 threes a game, that still was bottom five in the league when it came to the preseason, and I'm okay with that. If the Grizzlies want to attempt more threes than they have in terms of their franchise history this year, that's perfectly fine. That's them catching up with the rest of the NBA. It's also them... Um, developing their three-point shooting and making those who may not necessarily be viewed as three-point shooters better at it. Because in this game, you're going to have to have shooting. And if you can sit here and go through repetitions of shooting threes to make your players better, it's a smart thing to do. However, I also am glad that the Grizzlies are not attempting 45 threes a game. And the reason why that is is because we don't need to sit here and give up a lot of possessions. While we're second in the league in turnovers um, uh, um, that, that we committed, one thing to look at is, is that if we're sitting there shooting 43s a game, but we're only making 30% of them, that's like an extra five to eight turnovers where you're just taking away opportunities to score from your team. And I think that Taylor Jenkins needs to you know, keep that in mind. While it's great that he wants to shoot more threes, he also doesn't need to pass up the chance for our players to run through the repetitions and get used to his style of play. 
off the pick and roll, the ball movement, the chemistry, there's still some opportunities to be had by being able to score inside and get good looks near the rim. So I think that 30 to 35 threes a game is, is a nice, happy medium. I think that will give the Grizzlies roster as a whole the ability to improve their three-point shooting to where they can become more consistent at it. But they don't need to become a team that shoots 45 threes a night. They need to give their young players the chance to learn how to play together, to learn how to go through offensive sets so that they can have high percentage chances to score. Another big thing um, regarding the three, and I wrote about it over at Grizzly Bear Blues um, uh, this past week, is defending the three. Um, the That is one area where the Grizzlies have traditionally struggled, and again, they struggled um, this uh, preseason. While the Grizzlies averaged about 30 threes total a game, they gave up about 35. Well, the Grizzlies were last in the league in opponent three-point percentage allowed. Their opponents made nearly 40% of their threes. Now, obviously, that's that's going to happen. It's a sign of a young team. However, that is what I wrote about over at Grizzly Bear Blues because that is going to be a big statistic, I feel, to monitor going forward. It's fine for us to have success shooting the three, but it's not going to do us any good if we can't defend it either. And we've got the tools to be able to do it. We've got Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark who can handle the paint. That should give the wings and the guards more of a chance to focus on smaller areas of the court to defend the three. And with the length that some of our players have, we should be able to get into, um, you know, the, the, we should be able to make it hard, give make looks more difficult for shooters. Now that's, you know, in theory, that's in concept. Obviously, it has not happened yet. But that is, for me, one big statistic where I want to see the Grizzlies make significant improvement month by month is defending the three. Because if they can consistently do that, that's going to lead to another opportunity, more opportunities. Just like I stated, if the Grizzlies are shooting a lot of threes and not making a lot of them, it's just as like it's a turnover. Well, if the Grizzlies can get better at defending the threes, that just creates more turnovers for them to take advantage of, you know, to give the Grizzlies the chance to score. So overall, the three-point shooting is an area on both ends of the court that I really think the Grizzlies are, are going to naturally improve in, but it's going to take some effort as well, especially on the defensive end. Another key takeaway for me was the the, uh, the shooting guard position. Um, you know, especially um, uh, um, Dylan Brooks and Grayson Allen. You know, we um, have seen several articles out there as to who would start at the two guard. You know, I personally feel that Dylan Brooks deserves to start. His longevity with the team, his ability to come back from injury. I think he's a more consistent offensive option as well than Grayson Allen. But the thing about it is, is that, again, as I mentioned in a few of my articles over Grizzly Bear Blues, one thing that the Grizzlies need to do is they need to do all that they can to put the best product on the court for 48 minutes every single night. So if Dylan Brooks is the starter, but Grayson Allen is effectively um, playing as well, well, then you're in good shape. You, you, that, that's a good way of, of things working out. And the reason why I say that is because now you can keep both players fresh. You can play one, you know, about 20 to 30 minutes tonight, the other about 18 to 25 minutes tonight, and you've got a good rotation going. Now, I'm not saying that all of a sudden the Grizzlies are going to have an advantage on other teams when it comes to the shooting guard position. There is a very good chance that at the end of um, the regular season, the Grizzlies could have one of, if not the least productive, two guard position uh, you know, on their team in the NBA. But between Dylan Books and Grayson Allen, really good shooting, some encouraging signs. 
really good free throw shooting, um, I think, is, is a big key there. Um, they also um, each shot over 35% from three. While Dylan Brooks had his good game against the Thunder, he struggled against the Spurs and the Hornets. Grayson Allen was pretty consistent. A 45% shooting percentage from um, Grayson Allen, that, that, that that's very encouraging um, in terms of uh, his ability to score, um, especially if he's putting up eight to ten shots a night. So yeah, while you know it, it, it's not going to be anything that's an advantage, this isn't going to turn heads around the NBA. I really do think that the, the production of our two guards between Grayson Allen and Dylan Brooks, I really think that that's an encouraging sign. If between both of them we could get maybe fifteen to twenty-five points a night, shooting over forty percent, playing some decent defense, I really think that that could be uh, an encouraging sign for the. Grizzlies can really be something that elevates our floor to make us more competitive as time goes on. So those are my two key takeaways. Uh, you know, the 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 production when it comes to the three-point uh, shots, you know, both offensively us naturally improving and defensively us having to focus on improving there. And then also the two-guard position. You know, while we may not have just a clear, you know, solid starter at the position, we do have two good options that between them can play 40 to 45 minutes of good complimentary basketball to support Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. We'll be right back with you to take a close look at John Morant's campaign for the Rookie of the Year um, during the 2019-2020 season, especially with Zion Williamson now being out for an extended period of time. Welcome back to the 3ND Podcast. In the first segment, uh, we discussed the preseason, and one of the, the, the probably the biggest uh, excitement and, and the biggest takeaway from the preseason was uh, the debut of John Morant. You know, Grizzlies fans in the NBA finally got to see uh, Morant play. And his play is what you expected. Uh, there was a lot of uh, of encouraging signs. There were some struggles, but the big thing was was that each game offered you know multiple highlights. Either him getting to the rim or setting up one of his teammates. You know that's something that Grizzlies fans are not accustomed to. We have not been accustomed to a style of play that will be you know a top ten contender. You know of NBA plays night in and night out. But that that's here, and that's going to be here for a while, thankfully. Obviously, the excitement around Morant is legit. Um, you know, the NBA uh, um, GMs do an annual survey uh, from NBA.com. They do it every year. They've done it for 18 years. And the Grizzlies' uh, recognition through that came in the form of Morant, um, the, you know, with Jaron Jackson Jr. and Ryan Clark. The big reason I say that is because, you know, they had two categories, uh, rookie of the year favorites and also which rookie in the 2019 class will be the best, you know, in five years. Well, Zion Williamson got 68% of the vote in in both um, categories. The only other rookie who received more than 15% was John Morant. And I think that that just continues the trend that that, that a lot of people are, 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 you know, have. Everybody rightfully, uh, feels that Zion Williamson is the best talent that is in this year's draft. I, I think that goes without saying. It's just true. He's I don't necessarily know if he's a generational talent yet, but he certainly has that potential. Well, what has been more solidified, especially, you know, as time has gone on and, you know, obviously, you know, considering the opinion of the NBA GMs, is that John Moran is not on Zion Williamson's level talent-wise, but it's clear that Morant is in a tier of his own under Williamson as being the second best player in this draft. And I think that goes without saying, um, you know, especially, you know, with more and more opinions coming out that people are excited to see him play. As far as Morant's candidacy for the Rookie of the Year award goes, I feel like that his chances are logically 
much more improved are much improved now than they were three weeks ago. However, at this point, that's not due to Morant's talent itself. It, I'm not saying that he would have beat out Zion Williamson. It's more due to Zion Williamson's injury. But this is the third time that that Williamson has had to, is going to miss time uh, during you know you know a basketball schedule uh, due to a leg injury. You know he missed time at Duke, missed time in the summer league, and now is missing time to start the season. He could be out multiple weeks to start the season. The thing about it is, is that he's a 19-year-old in a 6'6", 285-pound frame, and as explosive as he is, the same reasons that make him so good also could cause concern because you're starting to see, you know, there's starting to be a little bit of concern, you know, can his body handle all that explosiveness? You know, I don't ever think that he's going to, you know, really be someone who's going to, you know, be an injury risk and is going to miss a lot of time uh, year in and year out. I do think that he's someone that consistently could miss a few games here or there. Load management is a popular word. Well, the Pelicans may have to utilize that early on in Zion's career. So what does that do? That opens the door uh, for Morant and others to really have a shot at the Rookie of the Year award, you know, if Williamson misses time. Now, I, I truly do think that if Williamson plays 65 games or more, the Rookie of the Year award is his. He's Based off how much he's going to be used, based off his talent, Obviously, his scoring ability that we saw in the preseason, I don't think a rookie is going to be able to touch the potential that he has. And if he plays that game along with his popularity and the highlights that he'll create, I think he's a favorite. But if Williamson does miss extended time, I feel like that Morant becomes the favorite for the Rookie of the Year award for similar reasons to Williamson. Not necessarily the scoring, but the highlights. Let's be honest. When it comes to the Rookie of the Year award, the NBA uses that as a way to market itself. It wants the Rookie of the Year um, winner to be someone that's clearly looked at as a significant part of the league's future. And highlights are the way to do that, especially when you're in a smaller market like Zion and John Morant are going to be. Well, we know that Morant's going to be, you know, a, a highlight reel when he's on the court, not just through his scoring, but also through his passing and through his ability to, you know, create in the open court. Him having multiple ways to create highlights, I really feel helps his Rookie of the Year candidacy. The other thing that helps him out is that he's going to be able to contribute early on in an area where you don't see a lot of rookies contribute. Kind of like we saw with Jaron Jackson Jr. last year with his defense, Morant's ability to pass is second to none in this class. He could honestly be the best passer that has come along in an NBA draft over the past few seasons. The preseason validated that. Morant played far fewer minutes than a lot of other rookies, and yet he led the rookie class in assists during the preseason with 29. That was nine more than the next closest rookie. So Morant's ability to get his other teammates set up, his ability to be able to get to the rim, I do feel like that Morant probably won't be the highest scoring rookie um, outside of Williamson this year, but I do feel like that he can create a high enough of a statistic floor that he can contribute to consistently that it's going to be hard to deny his effectiveness and deny him as a contender for rookie of the year. You know, in all honesty, you know, he averaged 11-7 and I believe three and a half. Um, 11 and a half points, seven and a half assists, and three and a half rebounds. If Morant can get that scoring average above 15, keep his assists around seven or five, 7.5 or better, and average three or more rebounds, I mean, that is a hard statistical line for any rookie to be able to match consistently, and I don't feel like you're going to see many other rookies in this class match that. 
So if uh, Morant can use his ability to contribute in other ways besides scoring, and he can generate highlights with his scoring, I feel like that he will be able to put together a campaign, if he can stay healthy, that gives him a very good chance at the Rookie of the Year award if Williamson you know, were to struggle with injuries. The way that Morant may struggle a little bit, or the way others could possibly get into the discussion with Morant, number one, if he misses time, that that obviously, just like Morant, if just like Williamson, if Morant misses time, that'll hurt his calls. But also, is his while his the while his scoring can create highlights. He's going to have to be consistent with his scoring because others have shown that they're going to be that. Their way of scoring is more apt to how the flow of the NBA is now, you know, than it was in the past. Moran was one from seven from three pointers during the preseason. Other rookies, um, Nikel uh, Alexander Walker, R.J. Barrett, um, Kobe White, you know, they showed that they can shoot the three and can shoot it consistently. I feel like that Morant is going to have to put up a hundred or more threes this year, a hundred or more made threes to be able to really, you know, be comfortable, have a comfortable candidacy for the Rookie of the Year candidate to be a legitimate, um, you know, threat to win it. Um, that will come from him probably needing to put up three or more threes a game. While that's not out of the realm of possibilities, I do feel like that if Morant can shoot 35% or more from three, that will be a steady improvement. And that overall will really help his candidacy because if he struggles from three and if he doesn't shoot a lot of three-pointers if other rookies like white or barrett or, or you know someone not mentioned if one of them you know establishes himself establishes himself as a true threat from three and is, makes 150 or more well then their scoring ability could put could put them in the discussion especially if their teams are having success due to their scoring ability so that's what i think it comes down to if i were to pick if I were to bet right now, if Williamson were to miss time, and if I were to bet the field versus Morant, I would probably bet on the field right now, just simply because there are other rookies out there who are talented and likely are going to find easier ways to score due to being better shooters than Morant. And at the end of the day, besides highlights, a lot of times the Rookie of the Year um, uh, award comes down to you know who was the best player on offense. But if Morant can find his ability to shoot decently and he can stay consistent with his assists and his rebounds, complementing his scoring, plus his highlights, I do feel John Morant is a very, very strong contender for the Rookie of the Year award. And at the end of the year, if Williamson is not able to play as much as you know the Pelicans would like, if he misses 20 or more games, I really do think the Grizzlies have their best shot at, a, at the Rookie of the Year award that they've had in franchise history with John Morant. Coming up and wrapping up the show, we're going to take a look at the Grizzlies' opening few weeks of their schedule. We're going to look at matchups, going to look at the likelihood of what their record will be maybe two or three weeks into the season, and we'll wrap up this edition of the 3ND Podcast. Welcome back to the 3ND Podcast. My name is, again, Sean Coleman, and uh, uh, this is the third segment of the first one. We talked about the Grizzlies preseason, um, uh, broke it down, uh, you know, what uh, what looked good, you know, what looked, um, you know, where they struggled, and just, you know, a couple of different points to, you know, kind of monitor as the season goes along, went along. In the second segment, you know, we went in detail in regards to John Morant, uh, his ability to uh, uh, really, you know, be a true candidate and have a legitimate chance of winning 
the Rookie of the Year award. Um, in this third segment, really want to break down uh, the Grizzlies' uh, opening to the season. You know, between now and next Sunday, the Grizzlies have four games as they're on the road in Miami. Uh, they uh, will welcome the Bulls and the Nets, and then, um, excuse me, uh, four games over the next nine days, and then they will be traveling uh, to L.A. Uh, in their in their first true marquee matchup. You know, against LeBron James, Anthony Davis. And the Lakers. Before we get into those games, though, I uh, want to discuss obviously the recent news that has been out there. Um, you know, obviously the Grizzlies, like any NBA team, had to be able to get their roster their roster down uh, to 15 players. So, you know, uh, this, uh, you know, um, end of the week, this weekend, they did announce that they um, had cut, released, whatever you want to call it, Ivan Rabb and Miles Plumley. Now, it makes sense as to why they released Plumley. Plumley just had no value on this team. The Grizzlies certainly do feel that um, it makes sense to go with a small ball lineup. It seems like Taylor Jenkins and his, and his staff prefer that. So they want to get other players, such as Bruno Caboclo, Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson. They feel that those guys can handle post duties in certain lineups, so they didn't feel the need for true post players like Rab and Plumley. Now, as I stated with Plumley, I do feel that you know he may pick up with the team at some point, but he he was just dead weight. You know, he was paid far more than he was actually worth. He had one, you know, he he had played himself into a good contract, um, but at this point in time, uh, his overall abilities just did not make a lot of sense for the Grizzlies. Ivan Ram is another story, in my opinion. In this situation, Rab just got caught up with the numbers game. In all honesty, the Grizzlies, I think Ivan Rab would still be on this team if the Grizzlies had not had Brandon Clark land into their lap. The reason that I state that is because I feel Ivan Rab has a place in this league. I've said it before over at Grizzly Bear Blues. I've said it on several podcasts before. I feel that Ivan Rab excels as an energy big, that guy who can give you 10 to, 12, 10 to 15 minutes off the bench each night and can be a scoring spark plug for your second unit as well as a rebounding source for the second unit as well. That, I feel, is his ceiling. Well, that is exactly what Brandon Clark is right now, and Brandon Clark is is better at it because he can contribute as an off-the-bench big, both on offense and defense. And that's just the floor for Brandon Clark, who eventually can become a very significant starter at the four position in my opinion. So the Grizzlies just simply did not have a need for Rab. His spot's filled by a player who's a part of their young core going forward. And so I feel they did right by Rab. I feel that Rab, especially on a uh, on a roster that may not be contending, I feel that Rab does have a place in the NBA. I hope he catches on somewhere. And I do still feel he can put together a, a, a good long NBA career as a productive reserve, you know, in the right situation. Obviously, the other storyline going into the season, into the beginning of the season, besides Rab and Plumley being released, is the health of Jonas Valanciunas. Now, a couple of things. Uh, it, it seems like that the Grizzlies are not too concerned about Valanciunas' foot injury to begin the year if they release Rab and Plumley, two players who you know basically would play the position that Valanciunas was. However, I do not feel that Valanciunas will likely be available. Um, it, it could be that he's not available this entire week. You know, he may make a surprise and be available, you know, towards the end of the week. But the Grizzlies are going to remain cautious when it comes to his foot. Obviously, when it comes to a, a player of Valanciunas' size and skill set, anytime, anytime you have a foot injury, you certainly want to make sure that it's not recurring. So I think the Grizzlies are going 
going to take it um, slow. And they have every reason to do that because of the fact that with their um, front court being so young, that just means more minutes and repetitions for Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson, and company. So those are a few of the happenings and concerns that the Grizzlies are facing as they head into the season. But it's a very intriguing start to the season, and it begins in Miami on Wednesday night. Now, obviously, the Miami Heat are a team with playoff aspirations. They have a very, in my opinion, underrated head coach, one of the best head coaches in the league, in Eric Spolstra. But the roster now, while maybe not top to bottom, jumps out as a true contender for you know the, the Eastern Conference title or NBA title, I feel like that they are definitely a playoff contender. And they it's mainly because of the fact that they were able to get their superstar to take the reins from Dwayne Wade, who's now retired, in Jimmy Butler. But it's not because of Butler that I feel that the Heat are an intriguing playoff contender. Can their other young players step up? I feel Tyler Hero was one of the more underrated draft picks um, in the NBA draft, along with Brandon Clark and others. He will give them you know, a potential lights-out shooting option at times um, on the wing. They also have Justice Winslow, Bam Abadejo, Myers Leonard. You know, they, they have several young, intriguing talents that could really, you know, if they took a step forward, could make uh, Miami uh, someone that nobody wants to play come playoff time or towards the end of the season. So I think the Grizzlies are going to be the underdog going into Miami. Um, I, I'm intrigued to see how John Morant performs in his first game on the road um, in a you know, one of the more marquee settings in the NBA um, against a team that's going to offensively, you know, be ready to uh, uh, move fast and shoot the ball. But I think where the Grizzlies, I think Miami's going to get the win. But I think where the Grizzlies could truly make a difference is in the front court. Miami does not have the bigs that can keep up with the athleticism of Brandon Clark or Jaron Jackson Jr. While Miami's bigs may be bigger in terms of presence and girth, and they and they could body um, Jackson Jr. and Clark, I think that if Morant can get some space and can utilize his passing to get good looks for Clark and um, Jaron Jackson, I do think that Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark could be difference makers in this game to at least keep it close. You know, in the small chance that they were able to pull the upset. So I think heading into Miami, I think that the Heat will pull off the win, especially with it being opening night in there at home. I do feel that the story could change once the Bulls come to town um, on Friday night. Now, just like Miami, I feel that the Bulls are another, could be a surprise playoff contender in the East. No, they don't have a superstar, but just like Zach Levine stepped up last year not be, he, to be arguably at an all-star level, I feel others could do the same for the Bulls. Wendell Carter, uh, Laurie Markkinen, you know, those talents really are intriguing and do form a very solid core for the Bulls. And I think that it can make, you know, if they take the step forward, I feel that they definitely could be a playoff contender as well. Um, on paper, to me, this may be one of the more exciting matchups for Grizzlies fans to get to see. I'm especially glad that it's this Bulls team that the Grizzlies will be facing in their first home game. And the reason why is because you have young, two of the more exciting young cords in the NBA playing each other. Wendell Carter, Laurie Markkinen in the front court versus Jackson Jr. and Clark. And then obviously the matchup in the backcourt. While Kobe White may not start, 
I do feel that we will get plenty of times to see White versus um, uh, John Morant. I think White could be a surprise contender for Rookie of the Year if he were to earn the starting job outright eventually in time. But I think that that matchup, those individual matchups, and just the matchup as a whole will be exciting. I honestly think the Grizzlies could get the win here. I feel they will be an underdog because the Bulls have more offensive options. But seeing these young cores play against each other so early in the season, I think will be exciting. Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. will not have, I feel, the same advantage against the Bulls that they may have against the Heat in terms of success. So it's going to take other players, and it's going to take defense, I feel, for the Grizzlies to truly have a chance um, against the Bulls. Obviously, as we go into a week from now, next Sunday, we welcome the Nets. And the Nets, obviously, are going to be, you know, they're bringing with them the superstar, Kyrie Irving. Last year, we saw Irving go off for, with the Celtics um, in a game that the Grizzlies looked as if they were going to blow out the Celtics. And the Celtics wound up coming back. I think they outscored us by 35-40 to 40 in the second half. So, obviously, Kyrie Irving is going to be the best player on the court. And this is where we start to get those fun matchups. We, I think that Grizzlies fans really want to see, they want to see how John Morant measures up against the NBA's best point guards. They get their first chance to see that with Kyrie Irving coming to town. I think the Nets are, are, are going to be the favorite. I think that they will likely win the game. But I do also think that, again, it'll be a good measuring stick for the Grizzlies. The, the, the Grizzlies have a very tough end of November where they play you know, a lot of contenders, you know, several contenders for the NBA title. I feel like this opening to the season where we start off with three Eastern Conference um, playoff hopefuls, two of them at home, it's a good way for our rookies to get their feet wet. It's a good introduction to the NBA, especially with some of the talents that Morant, Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. will be facing. I think that the Grizzlies bench could be an advantage for them um, against these three teams. But overall, I wouldn't be surprised the CSO in three. If we're one and two or better, that would be an amazing start. But I think in these three games, what you're going to see is that Jimmy Butler for the Heat, Zach Levine for the Bulls, and Kyrie Irving, those are just three offensive talents that each of the three teams we'll be facing have that likely will be the difference. The Grizzlies don't have that talent yet. Eventually, they hopefully will. But these three games, I think, are going to be a good way for the Grizzlies young core to get introduced to the NBA. And hopefully, due to some matchups, we'll see you know, how we truly measure up and see some success. Once we get past those three games, then the Grizzlies, you know, face their true giant, face their first true giant um, in the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. We do travel out to Los Angeles, Anthony Davis, uh, LeBron James. This could easily be a game where the Grizzlies are blown out. However, it also is a game where they truly will be, um, you know, in front of the national spotlight. It'll be an opportunity, you know, to where maybe, you know, our young core, uh, some other players can step up and, and truly create some highlights. You know, while we may not win the game, it's, it's, I feel like that the lowest odds we have to win one of the first four games will come against the Lakers. But if on the road, just like the Grizzlies did last year, like Jaron Jackson Jr. did in leading us to victory against the Lakers early last season, perhaps we can at least put on a good showing. And that's, I think, important for the Grizzlies. Yes, they may get blown out. Yes, they may start this season 0-4. But if they can at least show they can be competitive and they can show little increments of improvement as time goes on. I think that's the big takeaway. 
So overall, a pretty good start to the season, uh, a way for the Grizzlies to get their feet wet, an opportunity for you know just for us to see how the roster and how Taylor Jenkins and his staff will adjust. Some very intriguing individual matchups. I do feel like the Grizzlies will pull an upset in one of their first three games and will probably be one in three by the um, uh, by, by the end of Tuesday, next Tuesday night. You know after we've been in LA, but it's great to have the season here. It's fun to see this team starting off. Well, and if we can get Jonas Valanciunas back, that adds even more intrigue for us being able to potentially pull off a few um, upsets. Thank you so much for joining me. Again, my name is Sean Coleman. We will be with you again on a regular basis, weekly, bi-weekly, depending on news and happenings and things like that. But thanks so much for joining us here on the 3ND Podcast. It's glad to be back with you and ready for a great start to the season for the Grizzlies and their fans.